Okay, well, good morning and welcome. Um, <clears throat> we'd love to talk to you today about pilgrimage in general, and then I'd like to talk to you about a pilgrimage opportunity specifically that's sort of designed for next year. Does that seem okay? At any point, if you feel like this is not applicable to you or boring or nobody cares, you're just going to interrupt me and say, this is not applicable to me or this is boring or nobody cares, right? So I'm giving you permission to do that like I frequently do. Um, maybe some of you are worried I won't honor that, but I, I promise I'll try. So, um, so pilgrimage in general, you know, it's one of those interesting things that is really a deep part of our faith tradition, and um, in fact, it's part of any faith tradition. M maybe you know this, that one of the five pillars of Islam is that it is your duty, so long as you can afford it, to go once in your life to Mecca to make the Hajj. Now, <clears throat> what not everybody knows is that you don't just go to Mecca whenever you want. There's a specific week of the year that is pilgrimage week to Mecca. So if you, as a Muslim person, were to go to Mecca in November because it's cooler and the flights are cheaper, that's not really the fifth pillar. You go with a bunch of pilgrims who are there not just to see the site, but frankly, to reenact the story, to reenact the story. So, so I want to talk to you about Islam first because it actually has been very influential for us as Christian folk, okay? So if you go to Mecca as, as a Muslim, you go in plain clothes. Everybody goes in white, and one of the first things you do when you get there is you shave your head and your beard, all your hair, because the pilgrimage is going to make you born again. And then you'll spend some days camping out in the valley. So the first thing you'll do is you'll circumambulate the Kaaba. That's that meteorite that um, Islamic story says that's where Avram sacrificed, was prepared to sacrifice Ishmael. The angel Jibreel stopped Avram from, from sacrificing his son Ishmael, not Isaac, Ishmael, right? So you, you circumambulate that. You walk around it a few times. Then you go out into the valley and you camp. And in the valley, you're able to see the cave where Muhammad, peace be upon him, received from the archangel Jibreel the Holy Quran. So Muhammad, peace be upon him, was illiterate, did not write the Quran ever. Uh, Jibreel whispered it into his ear, and he recited it, and then scribes later wrote it down. You get to do things like see a pillar that represents the devil and stone it. You throw rocks at it. <laughs> you get to sacrifice a sheep, and you eat the sheep. And everybody, rich or poor, is dressed in exactly the same pilgrim garment. So it's this completely equalizing story, and then you'll go back and circumambulate the Kaaba again. Yes, ma'am? What about women? Women also are welcome to go on this pilgrimage, encouraged to go. And there's a... <clears throat> There's a way you can, sometimes there's a token you can wear that affects actually your standing in the Muslim community the rest of your life, that you're identified as a haji, or you'll tell people, I'm a haji, 
which is like an identity change because now you've done the fifth pillar. So men and women alike go. Women don't usually shave all their hair. No, they're not. They're not. And it's not a dangerous time. So like Bonnaroo is notoriously dangerous for sexual assault. But the Hajj is not. Does not have that notoriety. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Woodstock. Notorious for sexual assault. The Hajj, not notorious for that. It happens every year that people get trampled. It does. And what's interesting is the Saudis control the site because it's their sovereign territory. So in fact, about four years ago, several Iranian Shiite Muslims, because whether you're Shiite or Sunnite, this is a major pillar of your faith to go to this pilgrimage and reenact the story. Several Iranians were trampled, and the government asked the Saudis, like, have you investigated this traffic flow problem? And the Saudi government's response was to deny all Iranians' visas to make the Hajj, which is awful, right? Because you're cutting off a major pillar in their faith. Okay? So I just talked about the Hajj. Remember, that's a, that's a pillar. In the Hindu religion, of course, there is no holier place than going to Banaras, Varanasi. That's just downstream from where the, the river Ganges, which is called the Ganga, comes out of the Himalayas. So this is supposed to be the place where the river of heaven goes to the earth. And it's so important that even though the water is putrid and filthy, in the mind of the Hindu, this is the cleanest water on the planet because of its spiritual effect, right? And so you can see these videos of people who don't just hop in the water. <laughs> There's a whole liturgy around how you get in the water, and they do get in the water. It's one of those interesting conversations that I have with religious people, like, if you went to the river Ganges, would you get in the water? And of course, I would. <laughs> and one of my lifelong uh, desires is to make the pilgrimage to Mecca, <laughs> which I will never be allowed to do because non-Muslims cannot go, but I sure would love to go. I think it would be fascinating, you know, and probably really compelling. I, I, really, I just think it would because pilgrimage isn't just regular tourism. It is tourism, but it's a special kind of tourism in which you reenact this sort of sacred story with a community of people, Preferably ones you know, because then you can bring that experience back, but always with people you don't know, so that you can bring that experience back as well. Now, it doesn't matter to tell you that Buddhists do this too, depending on what kind of Buddhist you do. If you're a Theravada Buddhist, you don't go on pilgrimage, you don't. But the Mahayana Buddhists, they go to like the, the shrine where Buddha lost his tooth, and they go to the Bodh Gaya, the big banyan tree where Buddha attained enlightenment. They don't go to just say, wow, look at this cool place. They go because that experience of inspiration, they believe, has this kind of residue that can inform their faith life and their faith experience. Of course, you know, in Judaism, for the longest time, you had to go to Jerusalem for Passover. 
In fact, at the time of Jesus, it's very likely Jesus packed up his bags and went to, pa- to Jerusalem as often as he could. And being a peasant, that was really, really expensive. But, you know, Jerusalem was a city who during Passover, the population increased not tenfold, but a hundredfold. So it went from being a city of 40,000 residents to a city of 4 million people during the Passover. That increase is so crazy that it sounds crazy. (laughs) But that's the data, which is why it was rife for rebellion every year, right? And this is still true that if you're Orthodox, living in New York, when you get buried, it's preferable that your body either go to the promised land to be buried, or several Orthodox people, conservative Jews do this too, they import soil from Israel to go in their coffin. Has anybody heard of this before? Because the belief is the land itself, the dirt, is promised. New York is not promised. If you've been there, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Los Angeles, not quite the promised land. So you take land from Haaretz Yisrael and you're buried in that. In fact, if you're Orthodox, you don't drink Sonoma wine. You don't drink Bordeaux wine. You drink wine from the promised land. Only. Anybody had a fine Israeli wine? I've had like a reasonable wine. (laughs) In general, it tastes like communion wine, though. I just (laughs) want to make sure we're all clear on that, right? Manischewitz certainly being the worst, right? That that is really difficult to call wine. I don't know what I brought back, but it was very good. I bought a bottle of Ruby Port on our pilgrimage. That was a fine bottle of Port. I'll let you know. Yeah, that that was very tasty. It was exp- I spent a lot more on sacramental wine than we normally spend. <laughs> I will tell you that. I was really thrilled there was always some left over in the chalice for the priest to consume. Okay, anyway. <laughs> now, I'm being a little bit silly, but you know that pilgrimage is actually older in the Christian tradition than it is in the Muslim tradition. So all the other ones I've mentioned to you, the Hindu tradition, the Jewish tradition, the Buddhist tradition, those are older than the Christian tradition. They are. But we sort of got this idea of pilgrimage early on. When Constantine converted to Christianity in 312 or 313, depending how you read the dates, one of the first things that he did was sent his mother, who was part of the reason he converted. His mother, Helena, was a Christian. His father was a pagan Celt. Right, so, so Constantine came from the British Isles. His father worshipped the sun god. Uh, Helena had always been Christian, and basically when her son converted, she, just, she went on a pilgrimage, but also with some royal uh, money to go and establish pilgrimage sites because now people were allowed to go on religious pilgrimage. It's, traveling's always been dangerous, you know, because you're without your home group and your resources. We've made that burden a lot lighter now, but um, especially then was really, really difficult. So Helena enjoyed some royal protection, and she went. And um, one of the things she did that's very interesting is she interviewed and looked carefully and prayed about where these sites are. And, and you can believe what you want about this because, you know, she had three potential crosses 
which were the true cross. And there was a vision and experience where one of them was revealed to her to be the true cross. Uh, and Helena went to different places and, as I told you, interviewed and did her reading and talked to local people. She didn't just make it up. And she was able to help find some very traditional uh, sites for things that made their way to a map that is now on a church floor in a city called Madaba, which is in Jordan. Now, this map is what scholars continue to consult. I mean, today, and it's incomplete, parts of it are broken, scholars continue, I mean, intellectual people, continue to go to this map to try to pinpoint the sites that Helena and the basically the earliest intentional Christian pilgrims identified as being the places. And just to give you an example of this, if I were to give you a picture of the Sea of Tiberias, that's how it's known in the Arab world, we call it the Sea of Galilee, right? And in, in Israel, you'd call it the Sea of Galilee as well. Flows the Jordan River, and down here, it's the Dead Sea, right? If you'd like to know where Jesus was baptized, you can go to Israel on pilgrimage, and we did, and there's a place right here called Yardanit. Yardanit. And you can go and remember your baptism and get in the Jordan. And there's lots of Christian tourists that do this. You'll see them, they wear like white rental cloths, Water's a little chilly, so it's not for everybody. Uh, but you can go, and it's really fantastic. You get a view of the Jordan that's, that's all right. The map says you should go right here. <laughs> On this side of the Jordan is a city called Bethany beyond the Jordan, beyond measured from Jerusalem, you see. And this is where... the UNESCO World Heritage Site is. And it turns out that Madaba identifies this as the place to go. And uh, when they went, they excavated, and they sure enough found a really um, interesting thing that happened. When the Jordan's really flowing, it actually is kind of wild. Now today you see it, and it's like Clear Creek. <laughs> and that's because it's being tapped for agricultural use. By the time it gets down here, it's at 15% of its flow. So 85% of the flow is gone to water the desert, pretty much, right? Um, so the flow was so bad that ultimately what happened here is so that pilgrims didn't get washed away in the flow, they dug a channel, <laughs> and they made here some steps going down, and then the water returns to the Jordan, and that's from like the third century. So it's an interesting thing to, to connect a journey, actually in both places, and to think about how pilgrims have been coming here to reenact the story, to reenact the story. The most famous pilgrimage is not the one to the Holy Land, or it wasn't. Does anybody know where the most famous Christian pilgrimage is? It's the one in Spain. It's called Santiago de Compostela, right? Um, St. James. And at the time it came about, Spain was the edge of the world. Like if you went 
little off Spain, you were going to fall off <laughs> the world, right? There'd be like some waterfall or sea monster. And this may be interesting for you to know. You learn these things about pilgrimages as you, as you sort of go. Pilgrims went to Santiago de Compostela and they brought back from the sea a little scallop shell because their pilgrimage was to the edge of the world. And they brought back their shell from the pilgrimage to their priest at home and they said, here's a shell from the end of the world and we want you to baptize our child with the scallop shell. I want you to know there is no scallop shell to be found in the River Jordan. <laughs> when you see John the Baptist holding up a shell that's not historical, John did not use a shell. He shoved people under the water. The shell comes from a pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela. It comes from pilgrims following their faith literally to the end of the world, so they thought, and bringing a souvenir back. And that became a metaphor for baptism. So if you've ever wondered why shells are used in baptism, that's the answer. It has to do with a pilgrimage site. I've never used the shell, the little metal one. But we have a shell, which is really fantastic, you know? And it starts to mean a lot of different things, like the baptized are pearls in God's oyster. Isn't that lovely? Or, you know, the birth of Venus, she's born in a shell, right? And this is actually an interesting metaphor about baptism making us born in this new way. But it comes from pilgrimage. The other thing that comes from pilgrimage is the rosary, right? The rosary. You probably think, I mean, again, we're told that's Catholic. It's not, it's Muslim. And it's not even just Muslim, it's actually Hindu or Buddhist. Actually, who knows who came up with it first? Um, Christians came up with it last, though. That's really important, right? All you did is change the number of beads. I've got one with 33 on it that I got from Shiite Iran because you go through it three times and you've said the 99 names of Allah. We added beads during the pilgrimage that's called, well, the, the peaceful part is called pilgrimage, then violent part is called the Crusades, right? And that's when Christian people from Europe saw the value of pilgrimage. They had not gone in a long time. They saw Muslim people with these beads, and they said, we want that. And the other thing they saw was how important it was for their faith to walk these sites. And they thought, shoot, not everybody can come here. Is there a way we could do pilgrimage in Europe? and they made up the Stations of the Cross. I do want you to hear that. That's the right nomenclature. They made them up. There are not 14 Stations of the Cross in the Bible. There aren't. Nowhere does a lady named Veronica wipe Jesus' face off with a cloth, and his face leaves an impression on the cloth. does not happen in the Bible. It, that happened traditionally. Happened during the Crusades. You can go to Israel now, and the 14 stations of the cross will take you about three miles. Really, Jesus probably walked 300 yards. I just, just want to put that in perspective, right? Nobody walks three miles to be crucified. Not in that kind of heat, you know. 
You might be so bold as to walk to Chick-fil-A, but you are not going to walk from here to Villa Capri. Let's just be honest about that. You're going to hop in the car. So, so you, little this is off scale. They brought these things back, and we have them here, so that you can have this experience of moving, thinking about the story with a picture, so you can imagine the story unfolding and moving yourself with the picture. Pilgrimage is very sacramental in that way, in that it's physical and spiritual at the same time. This makes sense? Pilgrimage became really important, particularly during the Crusades. A lot of people started going to shrines in Europe. And you maybe know one of the most famous ones it was the shrine of Thomas a Becket. Catholic priest made bishop. The king said it'd be great if someone would kill him. The king probably wasn't being serious. People killed him <laughs> in church. Uh, Henry VIII actually dug up the body and burned it so that nobody could make a pilgrimage there anymore. He sort of defiled this, the, the, the shrine um, because, of course, people should make shrines to the king, not to, like, priests that defied the king. You know, if you know your, if your Reformation, that's sort of the deal. But that was a, a key sign. In fact, if you've read the Canterbury Tales, those are people going to Thomas a Becket. So this is part of the deal about, about pilgrimage in general, is that it's a way to connect our bodies with our faith story and our spirit. If you've ever walked a labyrinth before, that is a kind of pilgrimage. It could be anywhere, but it is always somewhere. Labyrinths are not mazes. You can lose yourself in the space, but you'll never get lost. Does that make sense? Now, part of the thing that I think is, is really great about pilgrimage is if we can go on them, and they do take resources and they take time, right, is that they allow us to go with a group of people to do a special kind of tourism, a kind particularly when we go to historical sites that allow us to envision and re-experience the story. Now, if we just sort of go and say, like, wow, look at the Alamo it's so much smaller than I thought. <laughs> Isn't it smaller than you thought? I mean, it's not big, right? And we like snap a couple of pictures. I wouldn't think that we were pilgrims. I would say that's normal tourism. Does that make sense what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's normal. Um, the way pilgrimage starts to become extraordinary is that when we go with a group when we're formed by Scripture and, frankly, the Eucharist, and we can interact not just historically but spiritually with the places. That doesn't always happen on a pilgrimage. Have any of you ever been to a place that everybody said would change, like you'd have the feels when you got there and did not have the feels? Ellen has. I have been to a place where I would have the feels. In fact, I've been to many places where people have said, oh, it's so inspiring when you get there. And I thought, um, when's that inspiration going to come? <laughs> Anybody been to a place where you were told it was going to be something and it was the opposite feeling? So when we went to Jerusalem, interestingly, a number of people on our pilgrimage group 
have this really positive, interested, curious reaction, and a few people felt strongly feelings of hatred and violence, and were sort of overwhelmed with those feelings. Now, they ended up changing over the trip, but, but they didn't quite leave, you know? Um, and, and what's great about going in a group, though, is that you're able to have this conversation in which all of those pieces get held up. And of course, what's great about going in a group of people you know is you get to bring them back together. So they become a part of your group identity as you make this, this new bit. The landscape itself is really, really interesting. And I can tell you, having gone to Israel, um, and again, this is not everybody's experience, um, there are always times where I feel really skeptical. The first time I went and I heard Jesus sat here and blessed the stuff, I was like, no, he didn't. <laughs> you know, How would you know he sat on that rock? I mean, please. And of course, that's not exactly the goal of building a church there for you to contemplate that miracle. The truth is, if, if the story is historical, it happened in a place just like this just like this. So you can sit and go in there, and particularly as a pilgrimage group, you can have a Eucharist there. You can. And you can think, just as we're fed here by wine and bread, I mean, Jesus did this in a place just like this. Being a pilgrim is being a tourist. I mean, this is important. So it's a missionary. I like mission tourism myself. <laughs> you get to know people, you get to interact with their processes, but it's tourism. It's always tourism when you can leave whenever you want. Does, does that make sense? I'm a tourist in Texas in some ways because I can leave when I want. <laughs> now it's more or less difficult to do, you know, but in that sense, in general, we're all tourists. You know, we just choose to stay. We choose to stay, and hopefully for really great reasons. But there is something really great about going with a group of people and starting to think, this is what it was like, and this is what it happens. And my moment actually happened in, in Israel, and everybody has their own, or they don't. Um, when we were down in the Kidron Valley, and we looked up to the right, to the Mount of Olives, it's really an interesting scene, where here would have been the temple wall, on Mount Moriah, the Kidron Valley goes down, and the Mount of Olives is actually taller. And, and this would have been the Palm Sunday route. And to sort of imagine for the first time that you actually could easily see this guy walking on a donkey coming down the Kidron Valley, and I was able to see the story in a way I had never seen it before in my mind's eye. That was one of my moments. I don't have them everywhere I go, but I, but I did have one there. It's not always the grandiose places. You know, it's not. In fact, I was a little more moved on the pilgrimage to Israel. We were driving by on a road, and we looked over, and there was a guardrail. And right behind the guardrail was like a little mound with a little hole and a rock and that was an ancient tomb on the side of the road. And that was a little bit more moving for me than seeing the edicule, which is supposedly the place Jesus was interred, in the church of, uh, oh man, what's it called? Holy 
the church, the church of the Holy Sepulchre. That grave was more moving for me than the grave. And of course, my biggest surprise was going into the church of the Holy Sepulchre and there's this rock where Jesus' dead body was laid and he was anointed. And there's like these babushka women, like Orthodox women from Russia that are just crying, like their mascara is running all over their face and their children are there and they're pouring oil on the rock and then they're like anointing their kids with oil off the rock. And to see their... I mean, I, I, this is, sounds like a funny thing because I, I know I'm a little bit of like a voyeur, but to see their piety was moving for me. Like I wasn't skeptical. It was just, I mean, I don't know what I think about that rock, but it was deeply moving to see these people who were so invested spiritually in this, in this place. That's why I'd like to go on the Hajj, don't you see? Right? I'd like to be a faith voyeur um, because it's moving for me. I mean, it is, it's, it's moving for me. So those are the kinds of things that happen. Any, uh, any comments or stories from pilgrimage in general from you guys? That's a terrible question. I'm not always good at asking questions, sorry. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I grew up in Florida. So when I imagined like the holy story, my backdrop was Florida. A, a hill, a mountain in Florida is an elevation change of about 25 feet. And that's artificial. A lot like Houston. <laughs> Florida is really green. It rains a lot. Oh, it's a lot like Houston, if you don't mind me saying, right? And Israel looks nothing like that. Nothing like that. Well, till you get to the Galilee, but, they've, but see, it's not flat. And the foliage is totally different. Totally different. It's really amazing to think about these hills and sermons on mounts and going down the Kidron Valley. I mean, that, that's actually a pretty steep hill. You know, and, and thinking about wells that are 500 steps down from the city. You go 500 steps down in Florida, you're halfway to China, right? I mean, you're way under the earth. You're in the aquifer. So, so it's just this interesting thing. Now, if you'd grown up in San Diego, the topography is very similar. Maybe your mind's eye does get it, except it, it really doesn't get it. You know, we, we just, it's a lot harder to imagine the story outside of the place where the story happened. I mean, that's really, most people come back and they say the Bible came alive for me for going on this pilgrimage. Not everybody says that. Not everybody's moved. But I do think everybody comes back who goes with an idea of this is where and how the story unfolded. Whether it had magic moments for you or not, if you get that outcome, it's a pretty good outcome. Do you, you know what I mean? Anne, you started to raise your hand. Yeah. Being aware of the 
Yeah. Anybody else willing to share a list of pilgrimage story? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. There's something really interesting about going to the Garden of Gethsemane where there are olive trees more than 2,000 years old and thinking, again, like these trees, these could be the trees. Because we're sacramental people, we care about historicity. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So now I'm going to talk about Jordan, <laughs> and maybe be compelling and maybe not, but, but there is an opportunity to go on pilgrimage with St. Thomas, and by the way, friends are always invited, they're not just welcome, they're always invited. In fact, our last trip, we had friends from all over the country come, two people who weren't our friends. This is sort of a neat deal about how pilgrimage, I think, is different from regular trips. There were two folks from San Francisco who couldn't make the dates work to go on, on a pilgrimage apart from ours, and we were a closed group. I mean, we don't even show up on the website unless you know where to look. We go with a tour agency who knows how to do stuff, and frankly, they are able to somehow do something magic with cost where they get a trip that is sorry, but much cheaper than I could do if I booked it myself. Um, so these people called me up. You know, the tour operator said, well, you can call them and see if you can go. And, and they said, you know, we're, we're interested in going. And I said, well, you may not be interested. Let me tell you about us. <laughs> you know, we're going to have the Eucharist every day. We're Episcopalians. We're going to have, you know, uh, uh, morning prayer and evening prayer and that sort of thing. And they said, oh, no, all that's fine with us, but you may not want us to go. And I said, well, why would that be? And they said, well, because we're both black. And I said, honey, you're, you're all right. You know, you got nothing to worry about. And, you know, <laughs> it, was just a, it was just really a fine experience to have these people we never met. And we were mutually afraid the other people wouldn't enjoy each other and I mean, we, we got new friends out of the trip. I mean, we did, and that's how a pilgrimage is different. And I can tell you, because I went to Jordan in January with a bunch of people I'm not going to see again, that's a very different experience than going with the people I'm going to see again. You don't have to put up with people you're never going to see again. Do you know what I mean? 
There was one of them that, whew, all right, I'll see her in heaven. That'll be, that'll be all right. <laughs> you know, that'll be all right, you know. But for now, anyway. Um, Yeah, that's, that's what pilgrimage does. And you know the thing about it is, I don't even think pilgrimage is when you all have the same goal, except that your goal is to have this interaction together. There are some people looking for miracles. There are some people who have wanderlust. There are some people who want to, you know, go to holy shrines. There's some people who just want to see the landscape. But the goal you share is, we're going to go on this thing together, and frankly have different experiences, and enjoy time together each night. I mean, that is sort of the magic part, is to go to these places and enjoy time together each night. The places are fantastic. So let me tell you about Jordan, because Polly said something interesting about how it grounds things out. There really are different experiences in Jordan from Israel. There are. Um, what experiences are there in particular? That's what I'd like to tell you. So for one thing, what you'll see in Jordan that you won't see in Rome are intact, compelling Roman ruins. When you go to the city of Jerash, which is one of the Decapolis cities that is referred to in the Bible, the cardo, that is the, the road that cuts through longitudinally the city, is in an incredible state of preservation. I mean, there's manholes you can identify that go into the sewer. And by the way, m parts of Rome didn't have sewers. <laughs> so, so this is pretty fantastic. The Nymphenium, that's the place you went for the water, is intact. The Forum is an oval instead of a square, and it is grand. Um, you get this idea of exactly what Paul did, if that makes sense, going through the epicenter of cities and sort of spreading things around, you get an idea of what a circus was like, a chariot race. In fact, you can watch that reenacted for you by a bunch of Jordanians dressed as Romans. You're able to go to theaters that are carved into cliffs in which 5,000 people without a microphone can hear one speaker in their normal voice. Now, we didn't go anywhere like that in Israel because it's not intact, right? The, the place we went in Israel, Beit Shean, is one of the 10 cities called the Decapolis, but it did not have the amphitheater that I'm talking about. And in Jordan, we'll go to t four of those. <laughs> one is in Amman. That was the city called Philadelphia, seats 7,000 people today. And it's incredible. Jordanians still go there to play in the evening with their children. And seeing that theater is just Amazing. You get a perspective about what a chorus does. I've shown you these slides. The way that the theater is laid out, you know, you have a stage up here and then the seats come around and there's a brick shaped like this. And if you stand here, everyone can hear you. If you stand back here, not everyone can hear you. <laughs> and then on this wall that elevates the bleachers, uh, I'm trying to think how to draw this orthogonally, something like that. That's not very good three-dimensionally, but there's these little holes in the rock, and if you put your head into the hole and talk, that's what the chorus did. 
the chorus put their head in a hole and it was a microphone and it comes out. And they weren't always seen, they were just ducked down in there. So that's pretty interesting theatrically to be able to understand how dramas were staged for the first time. It's pretty amazing, because then you start to think about Paul going to the Areopagus, which is in Athens, and you start to think about the Sermon on the Mount and how it is that that sort of stuff worked out. Um, the other thing you can see in Amman, that's the capital, right? That's where most Jordanians live, is the only Dead Sea Scroll that's copper, uh, and also some of the jars that held them. The Jordanians originally held the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are probably the greatest archaeological find for religion in, um, the in the 20th century, right? Um, oldest sculptures in the world, oldest human art in the world is in Amman. There is a citadel in Amman that has a Byzantine basilica that was turned into the grand opening for the Islamic empire, and right across from that is the temple to Heracles, and Heracles' statue is so big that his elbow is about 10 feet tall, eight feet tall. It's huge. The rest of it's destroyed, but you get this vision. Amman is a city built on seven hills, just like Rome. Uh, so it's really an interesting city, and there we'll also see the National Gallery. It's always interesting to see what contemporary artists are doing, and that gallery is it's compelling. It's really cool. You get to go into a mosque and see how the King Hussein of Jordan covered the Dome of the Rock with gold. That happened in the 80s. It used to just be metal, and it's a really thin gold, obviously, because if it's too thick, there goes all your money, and if it's too thin, it doesn't work, right? So the engineering calculations are, are sort of laid out in front of you along with the, the progress pictures, and if you've been to Jerusalem, I can't imagine it without the gold dome. Where else do you go? Um, an archaeologist last year stumbled across the oldest church in the world. It's from the year 70. Church, I mean a meeting place for Christians outside a home. No tour goes there because no one cares. We'll go there. <laughs> we'll go there. This is the neat thing about our little tour that we're going to take because that's pretty, pretty impressive. You'll see baptismal fonts like you've never imagined built into niches, some are cross-shaped, some are dunk tanks, some are splash pits. Uh, it's really interesting to see how the rites have evolved. We'll go to the city called um, Gerasenes, another one of the 10 cities. Now, if you were in Israel and you went to Capernaum, it's built out of basalt because there was volcanic uh, activity. So at this city, which is now called Um Case, that's in, uh, in Arabic, you'll get to go visit another city of the Decapolis. So you're gonna get to go to one, two, three cities of the Decapolis. This is the place where the guy who had a legion of demons was living in the tombs. This is the place, and you'll get to have an interaction there with that city. And it's quite interesting to see the construction and the materials used between the two Roman sites, if that makes sense. Uh, we'll go to Karak Castle, which was the major crusader fort in the region. So that's when King Baldwin of Jerusalem had the kingdom of Jerusalem. That was in the, the late 11th century that they made that landing and started to build these crusader castles. We'll also go to a Muslim fort that was built as an anti-crusader castle if that makes sense. So you, you do get that sense of the Crusader time period. We go to Madaba and we look at the map 
and we look at how people made mosaics, many of which are very well intact because the stones are about an inch and a half tall, and you go to a modern workshop and you see how they do all that, and it's pretty, pretty darn cool. Of course, we'll end up going to Bethany by the Jordan, which is now sort of a sad trickle because it's only at 15%, uh, but there is something sort of magical, and just the stones throw away from the river is where Elijah ascended to heaven in a whirlwind, and you visit that place as well. Now, is it really the place? It is a place that informs your mind's eye. Does this make sense, what I'm saying? Of course, one of the jewels of the world, and I mean it, I've been to a lot of places. I haven't been that many. I've been to 27 countries. There really is nowhere in the world like Petra. Nowhere. And we'll spend two days there, not one. Um, We'll go there at night when it's illuminated by candles. And you walk through a natural chasm made by an earthquake, and you, you come in and you see canyon walls that are not only red, but are blue and yellow striped and purple. These are natural rocks that are all of these colors. And you get to see the last civilization that held down against the Roman Empire until Hadrian conquered them in about 130 AD CE. Just up the road from Petra is a rock that has a spring that's at least 2,000 years old that is supposed to be one of the places where Moses watered the Hebrew people during their pilgrimage. There's two stories of this, one where Moses strikes the rock and the water comes, the other where he was supposed to talk to it and strikes the rock and water comes. Now, which one it is, I don't know, but again, it gives you this this thought, right, whether that story happened just like it says or not, there's a rock with a spring coming out of it in the middle of the dang desert. And it's, it's pretty cool. Again, Petra is one of these places that informs the Bible peripherally, but is a, I hate to say this, but is like a spiritual place. It's all inspiring to, to see that. Just a stone's throw away from Petra is where Moses' brother Aaron is buried on top of Mount H-O-R, Mount Hor. It's just a stone throw, stone's throw away. The other thing that we get to do in Jordan is go to the desert where the people wandered for 40 years. I don't mean the scrub desert. I mean the desert desert where the sand is like beach sand in Destin, Florida, but red. That same consistency of granular, fine, not sticky sand, because it used to be under the ocean. And that receded. And um, we'll spend a night in the middle of the desert, not in sleeping bags, in, in fine tents, and we'll eat Bedouin style meals where they dig a hole and light a fire in a 50 gallon drum and let the resonant, the heat of the sand, cook the meal. Of course, there's opportunities for things like camel rides. Of course, we'll go to Mount Nebo, where Moses looked down over the promised land before he died. We'll go to the place where John the Baptist was imprisoned by Herod and ultimately lost his head. That's called Machiris. That's one of Herod's palaces. So if you went to Masada, right, it's a similar place as Masada, but beyond the Jordan. Those are most of the highlights. What else will we do? Uh, We will enjoy 
staying at the Marriott every night, which is so enjoyable. I <laughs> just have to tell you, it's really lovely. The, Jord- the, the, the Marriott's a fine hotel in America. It's, it's even better in Jordan. And uh, the breakfasts that they put on are fantastic. The opportunities the Marriott cultivates to interact with local artisans are also really interesting. So if you saw anything on Facebook that sand bottle art, that was at the Marriott, they brought someone in to do it and they smash up rocks from Petra, so natural sandstone, and they make these incredibly compelling little sand bottle art. Not the ones my daughter makes. Those ones are not compelling. <laughs> These have like camels and palm trees and your name if you want and pictures. It's, it's pretty pretty neat experience to be able to do. We will two times during our pilgrimage learn what it's like to cook like an, Ar- an Arabic grandma. So one night we'll go to a place called Grandma's House and we'll make a meal together and we'll eat it. And another night we'll go to a place called Petra Kitchen which is a little bit higher umph, it's kind of like top chef, so a little bit higher game. Uh, And of course, what's fantastic is sharing meals with Arabic people allows you to really share hospitality and stories. And to come back saying, hey, I didn't just enjoy the food, but I have some insight into what it takes to make it. Those were two highlights. Well, it was a highlight of my trip was being able to go to this cooking school and cook with these Jordanian women who were studying at universities in America. And to have this conversation, frankly, I never would have had. The excuse was we were learning how to cook. But of course, it was really just about sharing a table together. So it was really fantastic. Um, I mentioned you can ride camels. Walking into Petra is a walk, but it doesn't have to be because you can ride camels or donkeys or a carriage. Um, Going on this trip is, um, we do a lot. Anyone who went to Israel would tell you we do a lot. So, um, but we're grown-ups, and if we need a break, we just take it and we join the group later. And I love having these little ear pieces because I can listen to the guide while I'm wandering, because I just need to wander. I don't sit still very well, as you know. <laughs> I start to fall asleep if I sit still. <laughs> um, what else? I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll have a Eucharist in some interesting places, like the place where a thousand demons were cast out, and on top of Mount Nebo, and at the Jordan, and in Petra. You know, uh, and, and, and those are some really, some people's experience in Israel, some of their strongest experiences were sharing the Eucharist in some of these places. Um, is it magic? I don't know, um, but it is group formative and it's world awakening and, and those are always magic things. <laughs> uh, do you have any questions about pilgrimage in general or this one in particular? Yeah, uh, it's best if you tell me you want to go because there is a website link and the price is artificially higher than it is actually going to cost for a couple of reasons. It's, it's based on 18 people going. If we get 20, and I hope we go, it comes down. And the other bit is we get 5% off if we pay them by a check. So what we did with Israel is the church became a pass-through if you go pay them with a credit card, which is like what they like to do, you pay 5% more. 
Does that make sense? So really, I think that price is about $320 higher than it should be. Does, does that make sense? It, it costs a little bit more, but the only thing you buy when you're there are two lunches. So everything else is included, and we're staying in Israel. We stayed in three-star hotels. You really don't want to stay in a three-star hotel in Jordan. I mean, you, you don't. Um, so it's a little bit more to stay at the, at the Marriott. I don't think we need that luxury, but it's, but it's nice. I mean, it is, it's nice after a, a long day to just be in a very comfortable place. Sorry, it is. <laughs> um, so, so that's part of the, the pricing deal. So if you know you're interested, probably emailing me is the best. I mean, of course, what we'll do is um, take deposits, which we can always figure out if things don't work out, but just so that we have a group sense, that's helpful. You don't have to fly with us. The date's already set. There's spring break in case any college students, high school students, or teachers would like to go. And then they don't have to kill their career. Does that sort of make sense? Yes, sir. So is this price include insurance? No, insurance usually costs about $85 okay. above that. So travel insurance, and you should know, if you're planning on having a mental illness, they won't cover it. <laughs> So travel insurance does not help with mental illness. Now, what it does help with is if you fall in the hotel on the first day and break your hip, it will eventually pay you back. You, if you, like, gouge your finger and it's bleeding, it'll eventually pay you back, right? Matter of fact, it paid me back. Yes. Now, I take travel insurance every time I go out of the country, because why not? It's 65 for, I mean, it depends on your age, but it's always less than $200, you know? Yeah. Something I haven't done that I will start doing as a part of life is bringing super glue with me when I travel because in general, um, that's just what they're going to do at the ER is just put that on, depending how big your cut. I mean, that's what it was invented to do is to stop bleeding and, and do that. I've never brought it with me, which I don't know why. I have it on the, webs on the website. I, I haven't printed out the flyer because Roberta, our agent of the... She's on a pilgrimage in Israel right now, and she can't correct the flyer. I should get that done in the next week. It has a, it has a typo. It's called, like, wandering in the desert. <laughs> Sorry, but we are going to the desert. Not the, There will be dessert. Don't, 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 don't worry about that. <laughs> it's Turkish air again, yeah. And this time we're praying that no one scalds himself with hot water, inshallah. So what we'll do is we'll fly from here to Istanbul again, Istanbul to Amman. You can go on your own. You know, that you could fly first class. You won't find a cheaper ticket, I promise you that. You won't. Um, but if you have points or something, you can go, and usually people like to arrive earlier than we arrive, and they'll coordinate you to the hotel at no extra cost, and, and they like to leave later than we depart, although you can do it either way. I mean, don't, don't like, leave in the middle because you'll miss some of the like the highlights, you know, but you can always do that. And there's a, there is a land-only price. If it's not on the website, I'll, I'll, I'll calculate it and tell you what it is, if that makes sense. Well, I, I
I like Turkish Air just fine. I will tell you, I'd rather fly Emirates myself, but Emirates is more expensive right now by like $400. So I, I don't want us to pay, you know what I mean? Like price isn't an issue for everybody, but it is for some people, you know, and I don't want to exclude anybody because of that. Oh gosh, March the 9th through, we're leaving the Friday of spring break and coming back the Sunday that it totally ends. So that's a 10 day start to finish, kind of like what we did before. In fact, exactly like what we did, we did before um, for that spring. And by the way, this is like the optimal time to go because the weather is like mild, it's not hot and it's not freezing and it's not raining yet because they, they, they have their wet season which lasts a week we should we should miss that March 8 through 17 thank you the other thing to, to do and this is like if you think hey i really want to go i'm not kidding when i tell you this start walking <laughs> do not think that you are in reasonably good shape and you can just walk around and not get tired. The good news is you don't have to walk all summer. It is hot in Houston, but you can start walking in November. If you can get yourself up to walking two or three miles a day, which is good for your health anyway, you'll just be fine, you know? We don't go wearing suits. We go dressed comfortably for what we're going to do, all right? Again, there's lots of different levels. When we go to Petra, there are like 700 steps up to a monastery. You don't have to do that. You don't have to. I am going to do it because I want to. If your goal is to do that, you're going to have to train for it. You, you know, like I don't have, I, I train for it already every day, right? So I'm in good shape. I can do this, right? Um, but you want to be, able, if that's critical for you, you want to be able to do that. You want to start ahead of time. Does that make sense? Um, I, to be honest with you, you go up those steps and it looks really similar to the Indiana Jones thing. You'll see that without going up the steps, you will. It looks just alike, except it's just higher up and you have a different view of the surrounding thing. Is it better? No, it's just another thing to see. You know, it's just another thing to see. So it's, we don't worry about what you can and can't do, but um, if you can, you, you want to be ready to enjoy yourself as much as you can. Oh, yes. Now, you can get around okay without, I mean, so, you know, our good friend Courtney, she's, I think she's going, and she'll get around just fine. She'll get around just fine. And as you know, in Israel, I, you know, we took turns pushing the wheelchair when we needed to, but that girl, she walked down 700 steps and through a, a completely dark water tunnel, right? So, because she trained for it, she was ready, you know? You don't have to run a marathon, you just want to walk. You, know, you just want to get going. Comfortable shoes are really good to identify ahead of going. You know, those sorts of things. And we'll talk about that as we get further along, as you're interested. Oh, me, anything else that's helpful to know? Maybe you want to know about souvenirs. <laughs> Everybody wants to know about souvenirs before you go. You can buy a mosaic tabletop and have that sent back. They're lovely. They're pricey. I'm just going to tell you they're pricey. But of course, they, they take cards if you choose to that. I did not buy one of those. You can buy, oddly enough, and this is a really old tradition. There's not any ostriches there, but painted ostrich eggs. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing. Some of them are really quite lovely. What do you do with it? Um, you display it. 
they've taken the yolk out, so you can't eat it. I just, you know, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> the other big things, of course, like you'd see in any Arabic country, are, um, are clothes and scarves that are lovely. Uh, brassware, they have a lot of brassware. Um, those little sand bottles are quite good. Anytime I go, I like to bring back a Christmas ornament from my tree from a tourism thing. So I had a sand bottle made and I put a little string on it so we could put it on the Christmas tree. And, and I think it says Jordan on it or something like that. But it's got camels in it and I, I sort of think that's pretty. But they have some elaborate ones like that. Um, I think those tend to be like the major things. I don't know where we can buy relics. I don't know if you can buy a saint's tooth while you're there. Um, I hope someone tries to sell me one because I'd love to have one. Um, but those tend to be, those tend to be the things. I, I get a Starbucks mug wherever I go if they make them and they do have a, they do have a Jordan one. Yeah, I got one from Dubai and I got one from Disneyland. So that's like my new thing to do is to get these mugs. Um, uh, any other questions about Jordan? So I'm not going to touch the website. I just, I emailed you and you're going to be pulled off now. Yeah, you just say, hey, I want to go. And if you want to go, I'll probably say, let's just put some money down. If something doesn't work out, we'll, we'll get it back, right? But in general, we want to kind of be paid up at the end of December, middle of January, just for your budgeting sense, so that we have time to write that check in, in advance. They start to ticket seats and we can't change seats. Like in January, they'll ask for the final passenger list. If you have a passport, or if you don't have a passport, you'd want to get one. Uh, if yours is going to expire, um, six months after we leave, you'll need to get a new one. So that would be um, August in 2019. If your expiry is that or before, you'll, you'll want to renew your passport. You have a ton of time, and they usually do that in three weeks. You can even, they're really quick. Yeah. Well, the way to get on the list is, yeah, I've got you mentally, and then probably the way is to, is to make a deposit. Does that sort of make sense? Uh, and deposit probably of a few hundred dollars is a good, is a good rule so that I, we know how to plan. You, does that make sense? Because again, the price will, ch will go down a little bit if 20 people go. It just gets them a break at restaurants and vehicles, etc. Does that make sense? Again, what you're seeing on the, the webpage is 5% higher than the maximum cost. So if you dial that back 5%, um, that'd be the max cost, but if 20 people go, it dials back even further. Does that, does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, I would rather you went through the church. I'll warn you, it won't show up on your contribution statement because that's against the law, right? You're getting something for your contribution. I mean, you know, but that way we can write one check and that'll be that. And don't worry, we're not trying to take a bus to the airport this year. That was such a <laughs> fiasco. Yeah. Any other questions? Remember, Oh, yes, don't worry. And Patrick and Colin and Lisa and, um, and, and oh, man, Robert and um, oh, Renata. Yeah, everybody's invited. And if you think, hey, I've got a cousin in San Diego 
or in, you know, Smithville, Tennessee that wants to go, totally invited. And we'll coordinate flight. That's a nice thing about them coordinating our flight is they'll just coordinate that flight too. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. Well, yeah, yeah, Patrick is interested in going. Our California friends, you know, uh, Freddie and Renee, definitely going to let them know, and Colin already knows. Um, so, yeah, nice to, have, nice to have California people or Tennesseans or Arkansasians. Or even Arcan- <laughs> yeah. If you have any other questions, please email me. Uh, please email me, and... Um, Thanks for your time and and thinking about pilgrimage in Jordan in specific.